Welcome to the North American Waterfowl Podcast. I'm Brett Amundsen. This podcast is dedicated to the ducks and geese that we all love. To kick off this new show, we've got a series of podcasts about the craziest band stories we've ever heard. If you've got a great story, let us know about it. Maybe it'll end up on this podcast. I recorded these interviews in 2021, and we've been a little busy with other projects, but we're happy to finally get them out to you. I hope you enjoy them. This show features a name that anyone who shot a band in Minnesota will probably recognize, Bruce Davis. Now, we've talked to Bruce a few different times about this research and even featured a Prairie Sportsman segment about what he does, including putting GPS backpacks on mallards. And this guy right here, me, shot one. Here's what Bruce has learned from this research. This is the North American Waterfowl Show. Brought to you by DRC Calls. Duck, goose, and crane calls made by the North American Goose Calling Champion, Corey Loeffler. Learn more at drccalls.com. And Mid-Migration Outfitters. Guided duck and goose hunts in western Minnesota. Learn more at midmigrationoutfitters.com. And fish on forever. I hunt and always will. Last year, I heard about a study. Well, I, I heard about the study because I ended up taking part in the study uh, as I found out about a mallard tracking study here in Minnesota being done by the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources, uh, specifically Bruce Davis, and he joins us now here on the radio show. Bruce, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. As somebody that spends a lot of time researching waterfowl, this has got to be uh, about your favorite time of year, isn't it? It is. It's a, it's a fun time of year for sure. Now, did you always like waterfowl? Did you want to be a waterfowl research scientist, or did you just kind of fall into it? Uh, you know, it's it's uh, I I've I've been a hunter for my whole life, and uh, you know, when I got into college, it uh, uh, as I progressed through college, my focus became more waterfowl based, and and uh, 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 it's just uh, built itself from there. Just keep. Uh, uh, adding on more research work, and now I'm uh, pretty much all I do is uh, waterfowl work. So you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I love to bow hunt. Uh, I love to pheasant hunt. I really enjoy it. But there's just something about waterfowl, and I, I just it's it ta- it consumes all of my time in the fall. It's like I don't even have time to bow hunt or pheasant hunt because I'm too busy scouting or, or <laughs> you know chasing ducks and geese around or taking a nap in between chasing ducks and geese around. So uh, I get it. I. There's something about uh, ducks that I really enjoy. And, you know, you, you hear about guys that waterfowl hunt a lot and they shoot a, a bird that's got a band on it and everybody freaks out. It's a trophy bird for them. And then you hear about some of the some of the uh, the bigger trophies in the waterfowling world, whether it's a, like a, a tarsus band, tarsal band, or a neck collar, or even a, a backpack, like a radio transmitter or GPS tracker. And last year, I was lucky enough to shoot a mallard with a, a tracking unit on it. And I was like, holy smokes, what the heck is this thing? And found out that you were the guy behind it. This is such a neat study, and it's happening again here in Minnesota. I want you to tell our listeners about it. Um, first of all, uh, t- tell us about, this is a, a study about mallards? Correct. Uh, yep, we're studying mallards. Um, we're, we're putting uh, radio tracking units or uh, GPS 
units on mallards and uh, were able to get some information that way about uh, where these birds are located, uh, how they move, and what kind of habitats they use. Now, this is uh, technically year number three, uh, but really last year was the first year that you really got some quantifiable data. Is, is that right? That's correct. So, yeah, we made uh, we made one attempt at this study a couple of years ago. Um, didn't do very well. Uh, went back to the drawing board. Um, last year, we were able to to get a fair amount of data, and then this year we are um, we marked birds again um, in the in the weeks leading up to the uh, the hunting season here this year. And it, this is the stuff that that really excites me about uh, about waterfowl hunting is learning about their habits and their migration patterns and their feeding habits and and, and you know just the, where they go, where they spend the night, where they feed at, what type of cover, what time of what type of food, what time are they going, how far do they travel? I mean, yeah, I love putting a band on my lanyard. Don't get me wrong, but I enjoy hearing the research side of it more. And uh, obviously, when you get banding data, you can find out a few things. But boy, you can really get some precise data by doing it with these radio transmitters, right? Right. So, so we use the banding data. It, it's it's more coarse. Um, you know, we know where the birds uh, are marked, and and we know where they where they die, um, and and we can calculate some things about their survival rates and and understand their harvest rates better just using the banding data. That data is all great. Uh, but it doesn't tell you a whole lot about what the birds do in between the the when they're marked and and uh, when they're harvested. So um, this the data we get out of these tracking units gives us information on these birds, uh, their habits, uh, what what type of habitats they're in, um, what type of habitats they're using at night versus during the day. Uh, it gives us some information about the timing of their actual immigration. So when they when these birds fly off on their on their fall migration, when they head south, um, it gives us a lot of it fills in a lot of the blanks um, that we can't get from banding data alone. Bruce Davis is our guest here on Sporting Journal Radio. He's a research scientist with the Minnesota DNR, uh, talking about waterfowl and a new mallard study, a relatively new mallard study. This is uh, realistically year number two in this study, and. Tell people about uh, about what you do. You look for 120 mallards, right? Right. So, uh, well, this year we marked uh, we marked 90 birds. Um, last year we marked 120 birds. Uh, this year we're using a slightly different uh, uh, radio package. Um, so we're we're actually marking fewer birds, but we're getting more data out of those uh, packages. So we're mar- we marked 90 birds this this summer. Um, we scatter those transmitters out throughout the state uh, as much as possible. Uh, We have uh, uh, banding crews working all over the state of Minnesota. And so I travel to wherever those banding crews are working and and, uh, we mark some mallards with these uh, tracking units to to, uh, complement our banded sample. And last year you did the 120, you did 40 adult hens and then 80 uh, juvenile drakes. And that was, uh, and and it was two different types of transmitters. Uh, did you do something similar this year? Right. So, well, this year uh, we used, uh, so last year those those tracking units, we used two different types of transmitters. The one type was uh, a GPS log only unit that uh, the hunter actually had to kill. We had to get the bird, uh, get the tracking unit back and get the data off the unit that way. And the other type of unit uh, would log location data and then transmit that data to the satellite. 
Um, and so this year we're we're uh, we're using just one type of unit. We're using the uh, the uh, GPS units that transmit data up to the satellites. Um, so we we just we discovered after last year we're actually getting more. It's more cost effective uh, to use those uh, GPS Argos units and and have units that that transmit their data. Um, it's a little more upfront cost on the units, but uh, we end up getting more data out of them that way. So you weren't getting enough transmitters sent back to you then, basically? Well, we were getting transmitters back, but uh, uh, the cost-benefit ratio, it turns out slightly better in the favor of the uh, of the units that, that transmit to satellites. Okay, sure. We... we Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, uh, I was just going to ask for kind of a recap then of what type of info to just before we get, we talk more about this year's study, let's talk more about last year's. What did you learn from having these, uh, these tracking units on Mallards from last year? Okay. Uh, we ended up with some very specific information about, uh, the timing of, 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 uh, of, of immigration from the state. So the timing of the birds leaving the state, um, last year, uh, the birds that we marked in far northern Minnesota um, left at a very similar time to the birds that we marked in, in far southern Minnesota. Um, it's not really something that we would normally expect, but last year we had, if you remember last year, fall uh, 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 lasted for a long time. Um, it was a late freeze-up in northern Minnesota. Um, it was one of the few years where you were actually able to hunt open water in northern Minnesota all the way up until the end of the season. Um, normally, it doesn't happen for us. Normally, it freezes up here in northern Minnesota. Um, so we, we expected there to be more difference in the timing of, of uh, migration, but there wasn't because uh, all that freeze-up happened so late last year um, that that it just changed the chronology when those birds leave. And uh, and so so it gave us some, some information on that. Uh, we have some information about uh, how far these birds actually move when they make their migration flight. Um, so what we found in last year's data was that the birds tended to make very large migrations when they moved. Um, the average uh, the average migration flight was was over 400 kilometers. Um, That's insane and, to me. When the ducks finally yep. decided they wanted to leave Minnesota, they didn't just go. Ah, we'll do, we'll go a couple hours south. They went. Oh, they went 400 kilometers. Correct. Correct. So when the birds finally decided to move, they made large scale movements, which is uh, uh, probably not something that we would normally expect uh, from mallards. It's not really what I expected the data to look like, but uh, but that's what it looks like. So um, we don't know if that was because of the the uh, the late onset of winter that we had <clears throat> or if that was a, a, a normal thing. Um, we're hoping that this year we'll have some different uh, weather conditions. I don't. I don't wish for us to have uh, uh, an <laughs> yeah. early winter. I'm hey not now. wishing that on anybody. <laughs> but I. But I, I guess I would like to see it more normal. Sure. And uh, and see uh, so we can have some comparisons in the data on on what they do in a more normal year. Uh, rather than a, a late onset of winter like we had last year. Of course. Uh, Bruce Davis is our guest. He's a research scientist with the Minnesota DNR talking about a, a study about tracking mallards and their habits their, their, when they migrate, when they migrate out of the state, how far they go. But also, you learned a lot about uh, just feeding patterns. Tell us more about what you learned about that. Right. So uh, we were able to, all the uh, location data that we have is 
is GPS quality location data. Um, so we learned some things about uh, about how the birds used um, uh, marsh and and crop habitats. Uh, you know, in in southern Minnesota, we saw um, large use of crop habitats at night. Um, something you know uh, that that has been seen in other other species of birds in in their wintering grounds. Uh, we didn't know to what extent that occurred in in Minnesota. Um, now, when you say uh, at, at night, are you meaning like overnight or just in the evening, or what do you mean by at night? Yeah, yeah, overnight. So the the locations are set uh, at random times, uh, both during the day and at night. So you know, just our night our night location uh, uh, cohort is just any bird you know after sunset and and before sunrise the next morning. And so uh, these birds are using uh, crop fields, uh, or we're using last year. We're using crop fields for feeding um, uh, at a at a much higher rate uh, at night than they were during the day. All right, Bruce Davis, our guest here, Sporting Journal Radio. We'll have more with Bruce coming up as we learn more about this mallard tracking study here in Minnesota. All right, we'll take a quick break. I'll come back. All right, we're back, Sporting Journal Radio. I'm Brett Amundsen talking about waterfowl in the state of Minnesota. How can we learn more about what uh, what our waterfowl are doing out there, specifically mallards? And I'm, I'm assuming a lot of this has to do with how our season is structured in Minnesota with the season splits with uh, the northern zone, the central zone, and the southern zone, and how mallards may move across those zones. Bruce Davis is the man in charge of this. He's been out there marking birds with GPS uh, tracking units units on them. This is uh, essentially year two of this study. There's 90 mallards that have these tracking units on them. And, and Bruce, is this going to kind of help the DNR uh, figure out if these zones are, are working or, or just help them kind of determine how the regulations are set? Right. Well, one of the things that definitely will tell us is, is how much movement we have uh, between uh, hunting zones in the state uh, uh, and, and see if uh, our hunting pressure is causing birds to move out of one zone as those seasons open and close in different zones. Um, yeah, I forgot your, the rest of your question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, I was just asking if, if, you know, if this study eventually is going to kind of help the DNR, uh, how their regulations are set. Yeah. So eventually this data um, all gets used uh in, in the evaluation of, of our, uh, our season, uh, our timing of our seasons, um, and, and how regulations are set, uh, when the, uh, structure of opening and closing seasons in different hunting zones occurs, um, all those sort of things, uh, all those sort of decisions that are made down the road, we're hoping to, uh, better inform those decisions. So, so give our, uh, our guys in charge of, uh, setting those policies, uh, a little more data to work with. I've talked to a few guys that are uh, kind of sort of influential in that area, and there's been some talk about extending the season in Minnesota or going later, whether it's a long, you know, 70-day or a longer split or, or whatever. I don't think we'll see longer splits, but uh, a 70-day 70- 70 season, would you be in favor of that? And would any, any data from this study uh, help determine whether or not that would make sense for us? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I think our, I think our, uh, 60 day season is, is, uh, is something that's set by the flyway. So it's not, uh, not likely that, uh, the state of Minnesota will go 
act on its own and and uh and and have a longer season sure. um but what we may do is uh it, it may rearrange the timing of of the season in those in some zones um you know if if for instance we knew that birds were staying later um in in uh the southern zone or central zone uh you know or or the northern zone for that matter um there's a possibility that that the seasons could be altered to to uh better um target birds that are that are uh that are in the state um uh you know to to change things to to the hunter's advantage as far as uh timing of migration goes Sure. So when this study came about, when it was this your your brainchild? Did you come up with this idea? And whose idea was it? And why? Uh, you know, what justification was given for it? What What did you hope to find out? Yep. Um, so so this study was was I guess my idea, or you can blame me for this study. <laughs> um, the the uh, I you know I started working this job as the uh, the banding coordinator. And, uh, and, and that was, that was the real reason that, uh, uh, I started, uh, down this road towards this study. Um, you know, I wanted to be able to fill in some of the gaps that, uh, that, uh, banding data leaves us. You know, I knew, I knew some of the, uh, started looking at the banding data, could see, um, some of the patterns in, in bird, uh, movement and bird, uh, harvest rates and all that sort of thing there. But, uh, course when you start looking at data you just get more questions and and i realized the only way to answer those questions was uh was going to be to have to uh uh track some of these birds uh individual movements you know one thing i i thought was interesting with that duck that i had shot last year um on opening day it had flown five or six miles away from it was on public water and it after opening weekend it had flown to another uh, I think it was a state wildlife uh, management area about five, six miles away. It stayed there for a couple of days, and eventually it flew back. It never really left the area for too long, but it was kind of interesting to see that it did leave, uh, I'm assuming due to hunting pressure, that opening weekend. Right, probably. Um, you know, we we definitely see some uh, increased movement of birds uh, uh, during, you know, the early part of the season when, especially on opening weekend, when when there's a lot of disturbance going on, there's a lot of extra people out there. Um, there's just a lot more activity in the marsh, um, probably an area that the, the bird has been using for a while and, and hasn't seen a person for, for quite some time, uh, uh, all of a sudden has multiple boats in it. So, sure. you know, uh, the birds react to that. And, and, you know, kind of, that's kind of the pattern I saw with these marked birds through most of the year last year is that, um, you know, they get disturbed they move around until they find a place where they don't get disturbed anymore. And then they spend a long time there. Um, that's kind of the way, that's kind of the way ducks act, uh, uh, during the hunting season. And that's, that's been my experience in other parts of the country with, with other marked birds as well. Um, you know, birds will move around, uh, you know, as long as they're being pressured, as long as they've got people around and then they'll find, finally find a place where it's just harder for people to get to them um or or just has the better habitat that they like and they'll they'll camp out there for as long as they can sure that makes sense too um so say somebody shoots one this year they find one of these uh these gps tracking units on it what next okay um so they will find my phone number on that tracking unit um and we'd like them to call 
uh, us and, and let us know that they've uh, harvested that bird. Um, we would like to get those tracking units back from people. Uh, so, so as an incentive, uh, we're, we're, we give away uh, $50 gift cards um, in return for one of the tracking units. Um, I, can, I can get that tracking unit back. I can get the data off of it and I can actually uh, uh, reuse that. I can put new harness material on it and reuse that tracking unit again next year. So, um, you know, there's a, a big advantage to the department for, uh, for getting those tracking units back. And if, if somebody, say, wants to mount a bird with a tracking unit on it, you can actually send them a replica, right? That's right. That's right. I'll, uh, I'll ha I have some replicas on hand. Um, if somebody shoots a bird with a, a tracking unit on it and, you know, wants, wants a replica unit to use on taxidermy or, or whatever else, you know, just to have as a, a keepsake, uh, we can send them a replica unit. It looks just like the unit that they have uh, that the, on the bird that they've harvested, only it doesn't have the actual electronics inside the unit. Which is a great idea. And I hear you actually make those replicas. Is that right? Did I, <laughs> did I hear it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I found out uh, last year that uh, uh, I was going to be making those in the uh, in the shop here myself. So, um, yep. So, you know, we do what we need to do to to get the data we get. Well, so. it's it's great. I it's I just find this stuff fascinating, Bruce. I could talk to you about it all all day long, but um, I, I I better let you go. But I appreciate the time here today, and I appreciate you just giving all all the info. And it's a neat study. Good luck with everything. I hope everybody sends their transmitters back into you. I know if I I know if I end up with another one this year, I'll, I'll my friends will probably string me up somewhere so I, <laughs> as much as i'd like to shoot another one may, maybe we'll give give them a chance or give uh give it a couple years before i shoot another one but uh, i was glad to be part of the study and uh good luck with everything and thanks for being on sporting journal radio okay thanks brett and good luck hunting this year all right if you like this podcast make sure you leave us a review like it share it subscribe to it send it to your friends we appreciate it and find out more about us at northamericanwaterfowl.com this has been a Fish Hunt Forever production.